Hello, this is Shirley Comer, and I am recording our slidecast for the musculoskeletal system for Nursing 330. The relevant history for the musculoskeletal system uh, involves uh, the joints and the muscles. Oh. You want to ask about any joint pain, any stiffness, swelling, any heat, or any problems with range of motion. Um, whether there's any muscle cramping, muscle pain, or any weakness any bone pain, deformities, or trauma. You want to ask a functional assessment. How well are they able to move and to perform the activities of daily living on their own? Ask about their self-care habits. If they've had any uh, lifting or repetitive motion issues, um, do they exercise? And if they do, what kind and how often? And if they had any recent weight loss or weight gain? You also want to ask them about any self treatment measures they might be using for any aches and pains of the musculoskeletal system as these are common, um, especially as we age. Folks with osteoarthritis often have uh, stiffness and pain uh, after periods of inactivity, especially first thing in the morning or after they've been stationary for a while. Um, so there are often um, self-care remedies that folks have adopted over over time to um, compensate for the stiffness. This next slide shows some of the movements uh, of the body. Um, it's important for when you're assessing the musculoskeletal system that you understand uh, and our, uh, the, na the uh, names of the different ways that the body can move. Um, the, f the first uh, slide here that has the body cavities. Um, the important uh, thing here to really look at is the difference between the ventral cavity and the dorsal cavity. Dorsal means back and ventral means belly. So anything that's along the belly side is the ventral side. Anything that's along the back is the dorsum. Um, when you get to the feet, the dorsal side of the feet are the bottom of the feet. The ventral side of the feet are the tops of the feet. Okay. At the very top of the uh, of the slide, um, the pictures of the head are showing the difference between depression, elevation, retraction, and protraction. Right underneath that, we have the difference between extension and, and flexion. Flexion, of course, would mean bringing the, the limb or the joint closer to the body. Extension would mean um, pushing it away from the body as far as possible. Underneath that, we're, they're showing internal and external rotation, um, in this instance of the hip. Internal rotation would be turning that uh, joint toward the body, external out, to, out from the body. Um, the, at the top of the next um, side of the slide, at the very top, we talk about circumduction. That's when you can move a... Um, uh, you can move a joint in a circular motion. In this instance, they're showing you the uh, shoulder. Um, and they're also showing how you can do it with the hands. Underneath that we have abduction and adduction. This one sometimes is the hard, hard one to remember. In adduction, you're moving toward the midline of the body. So you're moving, in this instance they're showing the shoulder, so this way you're, you're adducting the shoulder or the arm toward the middle of the body. Abduction is moving away from the body might be easy to remember this as if someone's being abducted, they're being taken away. Um, so it's one, one way to maybe remember the difference between those two. Pronation and supination. 
Pronation means that you're turning downwards. Supination means that you're turning upwards. And here they're showing you with the hand. So when you supinate the hand, the palm of the hand is up. When you're pronating, the palm of the hand is down. And at the very bottom, they're showing you the difference between inversion and eversion. In this instance, with the feet. The next slide, um, we talk about the inspection and palpation uh, of the musculoskeletal system. We do inspection and palpation. We don't percuss or auscultate in the musculoskeletal system. Um, and the inspection and palpation of the musculoskeletal system can seem a bit repetitive. Um, however, it's very important, uh, when, especially when you're dealing with anyone that has any kind of a musculoskeletal deficit, that you do a complete assessment of the musculoskeletal system and that you um, are comparing for bilateral um, function and for symmetry from side to side. Uh, in reality, most examiners end up integrating the musculoskeletal system assessment into the rest of their uh, examination. They don't often um, just do the musculoskeletal system. Um, they would usually do, you know, looking at each joint individually. For example, when we do the head and neck, they would probably do this, the cervical spine um, assessment at that point. Um, coming down, the, they would do the shoulders, the arms, the legs as they got to that uh, body system head to toe. So, but for our purposes here, we're going to talk about it as though we're doing just an isolated musculoskeletal system assessment. So first thing we want to do is we want to look at posture and spine alignment. Remember that there are some normal curves of the spine. Um, the, the spine can curve front to back, but it never curves side to side. A spine that curves side to side has scoliosis, and that is always abnormal. Um, scoliosis uh, you can um, usually detect by looking at the height of the shoulders, the um, position of the shoulder blades, and the height of the iliospine. Uh, crests of the hips. Um, if one is higher than the other, then that may, that may indicate that there's scoliosis. Um, kyphosis is the normal convex curvature of the cervical spine. There is that normal curve right in the nape of the neck um, that, is, uh, that is a normal kyphotic curve. Lordosis is the normal concave curve um, at, the, at the lumbar spine. That is the small of our back. So there's a normal curve at the small of the back, a normal curve at the nape of your neck. Um, those are front to back curvatures, not side to side. You do want to assess these for, um, if they're exaggerated, that could indicate that there are some issues with the spine. The Lordotic curve can get exaggerated when folks are obese or with a pregnant woman because of the weight that they're carrying on the front of the body. The kyphotic curve can be exaggerated or obliterated um, in uh, osteoporosis um, or other types of, or in scoliosis, for example, or in other types of um, uh, age, changes that happen with aging where the, ch the distance between the space, the distance between the vertebral spaces decreases. So you want to assess the spinal alignment. You would do this by observing as they bend at the waist. And again, the hips, the scapula, the shoulders should all be symmetrical in height. Uh, you palpate along the spinous processes to indicate where, uh, that, that they're all in alignment. 
Um, to check for an exaggerated lordotic curve, you can have them stand against the wall. Um, you sh really shouldn't be able to put your hand in between the small of their back and the wall. Although you may see a little daylight there, but you really shouldn't be able to put your hand in. If you can, that may indicate that there is a, an exaggerated curve. You also want to observe their gait. It should be smooth. Um, their hands should move, uh, their arms should swing opposite their legs. Um, and there should be no unsteadiness or ataxia. The first joint that we want to assess would be the cervical spine. Um, you want to inspect the cervical spine, look at the head alignment and the sp uh, spinal straightness. You want to palpate each one of the spinous processes and um, note their alignment. You want to look for uh, palpating the, the um, sternocleidomastoid muscle, the trapezius muscles, and the paravertebral muscles. You want to ask the patient to touch their chin to their chest, lift the chin to the ceiling, and touch the chin to the opposite shoulder. Um, don't attempt any of this, though, if you suspect there's any neck trauma. Obviously, we want to keep that neck um, uh, stationary if we, if we suspect there are any issues along those lines. Um, one of the key things that an examiner needs to remember when they're doing the musculoskeletal system is that you have to have a good understanding of the normal range of motion for each joint that you're assessing. Um, so for the cervical spine, which is actually a series of joints, but in the cervical spine, we can flex and extend the cervical spine, and we can um, adduct and abduct by touching um, the ear to the, to the one shoulder and then to the other. Um, and we can also ro do some rotation as far as the range of motion in the cervical spine. So after you've done the, um, the cervical spine, you want to compare the limbs and joints on each side of the body, starting with the shoulders, working to the elbows, the wrists, and the hands. Then you want to look at the um, lumbar spine, the hips, the knees, the ankles and the feet. And in each instance you want to note the length of the limbs, they should be equal, they should be symmetrical, they should have full range of motion, they should be, the size and the contour should be equal symmetrical. You want to note the skin for any um, color changes, edema, masses, or deformities. When you palpate these limbs you want to note any temperature changes, any swelling, any masses, any crepitus, any problems with tone or any weakness in the limbs. You want to ask the patient to perform active range of motion in each one of these joints. And in order to, um, again, ask the patient to uh, perform active range of motion, you have to know the range of motion for that joint. So be sure that you reacquaint yourself with that. Um, the only time you would do passive range of motion with them is if they're un unable to move that limb or if they're unable to move it through a full range of motion. If, you, if you're doing passive range of motion, remember don't force the joint beyond where it wants to go. Um, if there's a contracture, <coughs> gently try to extend the joint, but don't force it. You can cause um, ligament, tendon, uh, muscle, muscle damage that have also been known to break bones by trying to force open a contracture. Um, and estimate the angle of the extension of the impaired joint. This slide shows you the full range of motion for the shoulder joint. Um, you can see that 
Um, forward flexion is at 180 degrees for the arm. Backward extension is at 50 degrees to 60 degrees for the arm. Um, abduction is at 180 degrees. Adduction is 45 to 50 degrees. Internal rotation is about 90 degrees, and external rotation is also about 90 degrees. If the patient can perform better than this, that's fine. If they perform less, then we want to get an idea as to what the uh, limitation is. Saying they, that they have a limited range of motion doesn't give us much information. That could mean that they're anywhere from a full contracture of the joint to just slightly less than, than a full range of motion. So there is an instrument that's used to measure joint angles, and it's called a goniometer, and there's a picture of it here in this slide. Um, you can see that it's basically a large protractor, like the kind you used when you were taking geometry course. You line up the two uh, long portions of the goniometer along the bone, long bones, and then you look on the, the angle measurements on the inside circle that will tell you the exact angle um, that you're measuring. So, for example, in this instance, you know, they're supposed to be uh, about a hundred and uh, 160 degrees of uh, flexion in a knee. The knee that's right here is obviously not flexed to a whole 160 degrees. Um, it's, pr it's flexed short of 90. It's probably flexed more around, oh, maybe 75 degrees or so. So, in order to, to figure out our exact angle, we're using the goniometer here to determine um, the actual angle of flexion. That way, when I write this up, instead of saying they have limited range of motion in their knee, I can say that range of motion in the, in the knee uh, is limited to 75 degrees of flexion. Um, so it, it gives a much better idea. Physical therapists use these goniometers all the time. You might have seen them in a clinical setting being used by them to measure different angles. Um, and we have a few in the lab that when you come in for your practice sessions, we can work with those uh, in the lab. So make sure that, you're, that you test each joint for its full range of motion. You also want to test each muscle group. You palpate the muscles, and then you want to test them for strength. This is one thing that the video that accompanies this week's um, uh, lesson doesn't really show. It shows the inspection and the palpation, but it doesn't really show you testing the muscles for strength. You want to test each muscle group. You want to ask the person to extend and flex against your resistance, and they should be able to overcome your resistance. So, for example, if you're testing for flexion extension of the elbow, you would ask the patient to flex their arm, their, uh, their elbow, up toward the body. Then you would um, put your hand on the outside of their lower arm and ask them to try and push against your arm. You try to keep them from extending. They should be able to um, uh, overcome your resistance. Also, to check for... Um, strength in that arm. You'd also um, try and pull the arm. You ask them to resist your, your pulling and you shouldn't be able to pull their arm open. Um, now obviously you don't want to use a great deal of force, especially on somebody who is, who is frail, but you do want to give enough resistance from your push and pull that the person has to work a little bit to overcome it. When we test for strength, we do have a 0 to 5 scale. Um, that's usually used for muscle strength. Zero means there's paralysis, and there's no um, contraction in the muscle. 
Uh, five is severe um, weakness. Two is poor range of motion. Three is um, there's average uh, weakness. There's some weakness, but they can still move the arm. Four is slight weakness, and five is a normal range of motion. As you can see, this is obviously somewhat um, subjective. So we do our best to uh, assess a patient based on this, uh, on this scale. This slide shows the normal curvatures of the spine that we talked about earlier, um, the normal cervical and lumbar. Uh, curvatures, remember the kyphosis and the lordosis are normal. A lot of times um, I see students when they document in their uh, their write-up they will say that the person had no kyphosis or lordosis. Um, well that would be an abnormal assessment then because there is supposed to be a kyphotic and a lordotic curve, they're just not to be exaggerated. So again in the upper extremities you want to palpate and inspect the arms and the shoulders ask the patient to rotate the arms internally and externally, lift them above the head, move them in a circle. You want to test the shoulder strength. You want to um, bend their elbow and try to have them flex against your resistance, that's what we just talked about. Inspect and palpate the wrist joints and hands and perform active range of motion on the uh, fingers and the hand. In the lower extremities, you want to look at the hips, inspect and palpate them. Ask them to raise their leg, swing their leg outward and inward, and from front to back. Um, you want to look at their knees. They should be able to bend and extend their knees. And their, their patella, their kneecap, should stay um, in place. It should not move uh, significantly during an extension and flexion of the knee. Uh, in the foot, you want to ask them to point the toes up and down, to rotate the foot, to move it laterally and medially, and then to flex and extend the toes. Some common tests that are done for um, abnormal joints is something called a pronator drift, and that's used to detect weakness in the arms. You ask them to extend their supinated arms and to um, close their eyes. So you extend their arms with their hands, uh, palms pointing up. Um, they close their eyes, and if there is weakness in the pronators, one arm will drift down. They will be unable to keep both arms up after they close their eyes for about 20 to 30, to 30 seconds. You want to ask them about straight leg raising. That's used to assess for herniated discs. The Thomas test is to assess for hip flexure contractions, um, which are usually hidden by increased lordosis in someone. So you ask them to flex their knee to their chest while they're laying down. The other knee should be able to stay on the table. If it can't and if it rises also, then they may have um, problems with a, a limited range of motion in those hips. Um, the Trendelenburg test is a test um, that looks for hip dislocation um, and uh, gluteal muscle strength. You have them shift their weight from one foot to the other while they're standing. Um, as they do this, there should be no movement in the iliac crest. The iliac crest on both sides of the hips should stay the same. If they move up and down, that may indicate that there is an issue um, with a dislocated hip. All is used to check for um, fluid uh, in underneath the, uh, the patella. Uh, in this, what you do is you stroke upward on the medial side of the knee, right next to the patella, and then you press laterally to look and see if, the ball, if a bulge of fluid um, shows up in the area that you just uh, push the fluid out of with the bulge test. Um, and that looks for small amounts of fluid. The ballotment test is looking for larger amounts of fluid. With this one, you would firmly press 
um, your fingers on each side of the patella and then tap the patella. If there's fluid present, the patella will bounce back up. Um, they do a good version of this in the video. Um, I won't go over the drawer tests for the ACL and the PCL. Those are covered extremely well in the video. If you're interested in learning those assessments, I would suggest that you look at that uh, look at that section of the video. Um, in a neonate, uh, uh, one especially right after birth, um, birth injuries that are common in neonates are um, dislocated hips, dislocated shoulders. Um, and uh, there can be uh, fractures in bones, especially if there is an unusual presentation. If they've had to grab a leg or they had to grab an arm in order to help uh, with delivery, um, there can be dislocations or fractures in those areas. So the first thing that the nursery nurse often does is a full you know, head-to-toe assessment on these infants to double-check for uh, any problems with, with uh, hips to hip dislocations and shoulders and so forth. Um, in children, um, their shoulders and scapula should be level, and by about one to two years old, they, sh they have a, a broad gait and they use their arms for balance. They sort of duck walk, um, which is normal. They're flat-footed and they sort of duck walk um, as they go. They shift their whole weight from one foot to the other, and they hold their arms um, closer to the body. As they get a little bit older, um, though their gait becomes more uh, like an adult at around five to six, especially right, there's a period right between five and six where a lot of the uh, myelinization of the nerve fibers has happened where they have a big jump in their coordination. And you'll notice a, uh, a much, uh, um, a, a much uh, more adult-like gait where they lift their knees, they swing their arms um, as they walk and they're not as flat-footed as they were as children. Um, you want to begin to screen for scoliosis around age uh, 10 to 12 in children. Have the children bend over at the waist and look for a hump on one side of the spine or differences in the height of the uh, shoulders, the scapula, or the uh, hips. You need to differentiate scoliosis, though, from that horrible poor posture that adolescents often have. Um, so make sure that you're um, differentiating between those two. Pregnant ladies waddle. They have that waddling gait and they have a pronounced lordosis. In the aging adult, they often lose some height, and oftentimes you'll have a, an older person tell you that, for example, that they're five foot six, but when you actually measure their weight, or measure their height, they're five foot four. And um, they're surprised because they've always been five foot six and what happened. Um, as you age, you lose some of the, the disc space in between the vertebral bodies of your spinal column as those discs get a little hardened, a little less elastic. So folks can, can lose um, you know, a couple of inches of, of height without really realizing it. Um, because of their shortened trunk, they can make their arms look longer. Um, they often have an exaggerated kaphotic curve in the upper um, cervical spine. Their head may tilt a little bit uh, um, backward to compensate, kind of makes a shape of a three in the neck area. Um, a, a dowager's hump is a, situ is a situation, um, usually in women, although men can experience this too, where osteoporosis has caused damage to the, to the vertebral bodies and the cervical spine starts to collapse on top of the um, thoracic spine and they end up with their shoulders kind of coming up to meet their earlobes. Um, and that's that uh, hump that you see 
in the back of uh, older women um, called a dowager's hump and it's associated with osteoporosis. Our practice exam question for this week, Mr. Jones is 70 years old and has uh, just suffered a mild CVA. He appears to be functionally safe, but you want to be sure before you let him ambulate alone. While assisting him to ambulate, he begins to sway. What piece of equipment should you have placed on Mr. Jones before ambulation? Is it A, a walker, B, a gait belt, C, a wheelchair, or D, a heart monitor? And of course, the correct answer is B, a gait belt. Whenever you're unsure of anyone's um, musculoskeletal or neurological status, um, if they've shown any degree of weakness, you want to be sure to protect them from falling by using a gait belt. And remember, a gait belt works because it is wrapped around the center of our gravity, which is kind of in our, in our lower back. Um, and by using that uh, physics principle, you can quickly write a patient who is, who is about ready to fall over just by grabbing onto that gait belt and pulling them back up again. Um, if they don't have a gait belt, you can use the back of their pants. You, I've been known to grab and um, wad up their gown in, in my hand while I'm walking with them and keep my hand at the small of their back just to be able to pull them up. If they don't have anything, just grab them around the waist and yank them back up again. Much easier to do that than to pick them up off the floor. So this will be posted as a slidecast and also as a podcast. Remember that you can subscribe to the podcasts um, by going down to the bottom of the podcast page and clicking on subscribe on iTunes or the any of, of the other um, music aggregators that are available there. And then you can listen to it on your iPod or MP3 player. If you have any questions about any of the material that's in this week's um, uh, podcast, please don't feel, uh, please don't hesitate to call me. And next week, we will discuss the neurological system.